we had just kind of come out of about three weeks in just the first 13 to 14 verses of Ephesians. And if you, if you remember correctly, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the, the church in Ephesus and the surrounding areas, and he's, he, it's, an, it's a letter of encouragement. But this is an interesting turn. So in, in this section, instead of the Apostle Paul speaking to the Ephesians about who God is and who they are in Christ, he shifts and he, he changes and begins to speak and, and talk to God about the people in Ephesus. And so it's a really, really interesting thing, but it begins with, for this reason. So I want to just real quickly back up a little bit. What reason is he about to start going into praying? And this is just before this, if you remember right, he was talking about the inheritance that, that, that all believers have in Christ. That it is our possession. It is ours to have. It is ours that we, we, we not only a promise of future life in Christ when it's completed, but a promise that, is, that has present day implications to it. We have an inheritance that we can live by, and that inheritance is sealed in Christ and is not held by us in what we do or don't do. It's done through what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. And so we, um, the remainder of this, of this chapter is, is kind of a petition where Paul prays for who they are in, in Jesus Christ in order that they might begin to, uh, to have some idea of how magnificent and unlimited are, are the blessings that already belong to them in their Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, uh, his prayer, he, he begins his prayer, so we'll start here. He says, for this reason, again, the reasons of the inheritance that we have, every spiritual blessing that was sealed in the Holy Spirit. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. Okay, I want to I pause there because when you first read that, and the way I've always read that, is that he's hearing about their faith. Again, it's probably about four or five years since the Apostle Paul has been in Ephesus. He's right now in house arrest in Rome, and so he's writing this letter to them. But he's, he's getting word. He's gaining word about their faith. And most of us, at least when I read that, I, I presumed that he's hearing about all these huge faithful things that he's doing, that they're doing, and he's hearing about it. It's like, well, there's this one guy and this one day. That's actually not what's happening here. In fact, there's a couple reasons why I believe that, but the first one is, is that, that that actually is better translated, um, the faith among you, not your individual faith. I've heard about the faith among you. When he's speaking of faith here, that's actually the faith of salvation. So what he's hearing about is that there are those in Ephesus that have faith. They have believed in Jesus as Savior and Lord, and so they are now following him. So he's, he's hearing about these individuals in Ephesus that have faith, that there's this faith among you. Not that every single person there does have this faith, but that he's heard of this. And then he goes on and he, 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 says, he says something else that's really, really amazing. He says, I give thanks for you, remembering my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, of revelation, and the knowledge of him. So what are the two things he's thanking him for? First, their faith. You guys, what's the second one he was thanking him for? The love for how many saints? Wait, what was that word? You gotta say it louder. Come on now. Oh, there we go. Okay. So, so just to be clear, the Greek for all actually means all, okay? Like, it's, it's really, it really means every single one. I, just, I mean, it's, it's deep, right? Like, it means everything, all. I just want to ask you a question. How many of you feel like you have love for all saints? How many feel like you have love for all saints, especially around this political season? On Facebook. It's really interesting that the Apostle Paul is, 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 is praising them. He's praising God for not only their faith, not only the salvation that they have, 
but he's praising God for the fact that they are actually loving every other saint. And that is, this is just a side note before we get into where we're going to go before, but, but that honestly is sad to me. It's encouraging, but really sad because in all, like, we don't, we aren't known for our love for other saints. In fact, we have a lot of justifiable in our own mind reasons why we don't have to love our brothers and sisters. And some of us, it's just by omission. We just ignore the pain and the hurt of our brothers and sisters around us, around the world. Some of us, it's, it's direct opposition to our beliefs, so therefore we assume it's okay to hate. The Apostle John in 1 John says, 1 John 2, 9 through 11 says, whoever says he is in the light, so is in the way, the following of Jesus, and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He's saying, look, you, you, you can't hate. In fact, another section of 1 John, he doesn't, this seems hard enough to believe. He says that if you say that you love God but hate your brother, you're a liar. So I guess let me just pose this question, church. How are we doing on the love for all saints? How are you doing on loving that one really annoying saint? How are you doing on loving the saints that are posting those really, really annoying articles? That person that hurt you and their hurt was legitimate and wrong and sin, but you're still called to love them. It's unique to me that we can seem to justify this. And what's even more um, unique to me is that, that this is what they're known for. If you remember, the Apostle Paul is writing to these, 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 these believers here because they've forgotten. It's not a rebuke. It's a gentle encouragement. This letter is so gentle, so encouraging, so beautiful. He is, he's encouraging them to re, and reminding them what they have in Jesus Christ. You are adopted. You are chosen. You are holy. You are blameless. You, you have all of this and more in Christ. You have every spiritual blessing. You have an inheritance that is, that is, that is better than anything you could ever imagine. This is all yours, and so he's reminding them of this, but then he, he shifts when he starts to pray for them, and he's thanking them for the, the love that they've shown. That's, that's perplexing to me because if they, like, I'm on the understanding you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and it's out of that love for him, it's a natural overflow into loving others. So how, how are the Ephesians known for their love when they're wrestling with the fact that they can't even understand that they're holy and blameless, and they're not really rooted in the word of God? Well, we see the answer to that through this prayer here through this scripture. What's also really interesting is if you fast forward just a little bit in Ephesus, so you, you know, the Apostle Paul writes this letter. A few years later, Timothy is, is pastoring in Ephesus, right? And so then he's encouraging um, the Ephesians through the pastor Timothy, and they're, they're you know, don't look down into things. There are so many great theology things. But then you fast forward to Revelation 2, and you get the letter to the churches of Asia Minor. Well, Ephesus is in there, and the Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing to him. You know what he's saying to him? He's not saying, praising God for your love for one another. No, you know what he's saying? He's saying, you lost your first love. You forgot to love. And so the reason why I think that this shift happens here is it's not Paul encouraging us to start doing a bunch of stuff, because again, that's chapter four. We'll get there. But in this prayer, he's, he's reminding them of a, of a number of really beautiful things. The first is, is that we're really good at doing things on our own strength. 
We're really good at doing things in our own strength. And I, I kind of have the belief that if, if, the Ephesus, if the church of Ephesus really, really wrestled with, with um, who they were in Christ, then loving others would have had to have been more on their own strength than in the strength of the Lord. We can see that in our own lives. I'm not saying you're incapable of loving, but, but if, you, if you do not believe that you are righteous and holy and blameless because of what Jesus has done for you, then every time you sin, you'll be filled with so much guilt and shame, you'll actually run from the Lord instead of present yourself to him in repentance. And because of that, then, you're going to start looking at other people's sins in a different way. It's going to, it's going to skew and taint our, our lens. And so what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's, he's telling him, look, I've heard of your faith. You, you believe in Jesus. That's great. James says it harsher. He says, even the demons believe that. It's not just a knowledge thing here. It's not just a, an action in what you're doing, which I bet they were doing a great job because, well, they, they learned from Acts. And let's be honest, every pastor's like, I want to be an Acts 2 church. I have yet to see it play out. Unless everyone here starts selling absolutely everything and no one has need in the community. And there's so much love there that everyone outside of that community goes, I want to be a part of that. That's what was happening in Acts 2. And so the Ephesians are, are loving in that way. They're doing a decent job in that. But my belief is that they're doing most of it on their own strength because they're still wrestling with understanding the very basis of who they are in Christ. How we know that is Paul's prayer. So he goes on. He says, I'm giving thanks for you, my prayers. So I'm praying for you. I'm thanking God for what you're doing. Who, like, I'm thanking God for the love. I've heard of this. This is amazing. He also says, I, I never ceased to prayer. First Thessalonians, we see pray without ceasing. In case you guys were wondering, just in case you guys were wondering, it is actually a command for us to pray. We see it in Proverbs, Psalms, Isaiah, Matthew tells us, or Jesus tells us it. We see it in Corinthians. Prayer should be a normal thing for us and not just a please bless this probably fairly unhealthy hamburger into my belly. Prayer, in fact, when you, when you look at the book of James, it's been years since we've studied there, but, but prayer is, is, is us breathing in and out. It's our life. Prayer is a, is a continuation of that. It's us understanding that we now have oxygen in there when we pray. But it's a command. Prayer is something that we as believers are called, commanded to do so. And so the Apostle Paul is, in one way, modeling that because, again, this is one long run-on sentence from verse 1 to, to 23. And it's just this extended eulogy, this prayer that Paul is doing. And the first part of the prayer is that they would understand who they are in Christ and speaking to them. The second part of the prayer is God. That's where he's going to go back into. He's saying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So he's saying, I'm, I'm pleading with God to help you have revelation and knowledge of who he is. Like, I want you, I want, I'm praying that God would, would set this in you and that it wouldn't just be, I once a long time ago at a camp made a profession of faith and I've just called that good enough. But that you would have enlightenment into your eyes where he goes on. He says, that having the eyes of your heart enlightened, the centered of who you are, opened up, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So his, his prayer is that they would, they would be opened up, that they would see and understand this inheritance, and not just believe it here, but that it would seep into them, that it would fall into them, and it would, it would become everything that they are and everything that they do. His prayer is actually, is actually a really beautiful thing, and, and, and I guess it was really convicting to me because I can't remember the last time I prayed that for someone. 
I can think of a lot of times I've prayed that God would behavior modify someone. But I can't really remember the last time that I prayed that God would enlighten their hearts to the truth. I can't remember that I've seen a brother or sister struggling. Instead of praying for them, I've tried to confront them. This is just a secondary thing. I was sharing with some of the staff this last week that God is revealing to me areas in which I lack grace. Passive-aggressive people, I'm not very gracious. Driving, I'm not very gracious. Like God is showing me there's some things that he's working in me right now. But one of the areas he identified to me was um, is that there are people that don't, that don't understand the truth or they're, they're wrestling with the truth and they they, they they don't seem to want to know the truth. And so instead of me being gracious to them, I just kind of, well, you don't want to know, I'm out. It's like, Brent, shouldn't you be praying for them? Shouldn't you, sh- who's really the one that opens their heart? Yours, your, you, or, you or the actions you do, or is it, is it me? It's God working in the hearts of people. We should be praying for people. This is also some area that I struggle in prayer is that I had a mentor once lovingly bash my head in for this statement, but we were talking about a friend that was super ill, and I said, well, all we can do at this point is pray, kind of like it was a last-ditch effort, and he smacked me across the head in a very loving way. He said, Brent, how dare you? How dare you assume that all you can do is prayer when that's the best thing you could do? And why is that the last thing you're doing? Shouldn't that be the first thing you're doing? Prayer is, is, is should, a Christian should be marked by prayer. If we were called to be Christ-like, Christ continually prayed to his Father and then taught us how to do it. So the Apostle Paul's praying for them to understand this. He goes on, and in verse 19 is a really, verse 19 and really 21 is a really interesting section where the Apostle Paul uses about seven different Greek words for power. Okay, so we're going to read that real quick. He says, he says in there, he says, And what is, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he seated him from the dead, and, or, yeah, raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So in verse 19 and 21, we see these synonyms of, of, of strength and power. Now, why would the Apostle Paul do that? I think that's the reason he's praying, actually. I think this is, this is what's so important for the, the people in Ephesus and for us to gather. Is, is two, there's a few things out of this. But he's, he's essentially trying to remind them of the power of, of Jesus Christ. He's, he says it. He says the power of Jesus Christ. In fact, and just in case you're wondering how powerful God was and what he was doing, it's proven in the resurrection of Jesus. No other deity or God that has been named has done that. He's saying Jesus is the one who was fully dead and became fully alive and is walking and alive today. So the power that I'm telling you that is here is proven in just that one action. He's great. He's mighty. He's all these things. And he just lays out this incredibly beautiful phrase of of power. And I think he's doing it. um, He piles up these equivalents because he wants to convince the Ephesians that God's power working on on behalf of them is incomparable and able to bring about salvation. So he's he's trying to seat this in, in them. 
Another thing, we don't actually have time to go through it. At the end, there's this really beautiful uh, sentence, this fullness of God, the last verse here. It says he put all things under his feet. So he's saying he put everything under Jesus' feet. Everything is underneath him, okay? So it's, it's his. He's in charge of all. Gave him his head over all things to the church. And that's one of the things why I love that today we were presenting elders because me and, and the elders, if we aren't submitted to Christ as the head, we don't, we don't have a right to stand here. In fact, my, my assumption is, is that some of you experience poor leadership. My bet is it's because they're not submitted to Christ. They're not fully surrendered to his working in their life and what he's calling them to do. Instead, they're, they're, they're giving way. And I, I love, it is a, a burden, and it, it is, it, at times I lose sleep of giving an account on how we do this, but I love that these individuals are surrendered to Christ as head and that we are following that and pray for us to continue to do so and never, ever waffle from that, never, ever run from that or, or stray from that. But he says this really beautiful thing. He says the fullness of Christ, the fullness of him. Now, I don't know about you, but how many of us, if you sat around and you looked around this entire room, could say with like a, and you knew every single thing about every single person, could say, wow, the fullness of Christ is present. And most of us would be like, that doesn't seem like the fullness of Christ. I know what that guy did. I know what she did. I know what he did. I know what I did. But that's essentially what Jesus is saying, or what Paul is saying here. It's just, it's beautiful. He's saying that Christ fills all. He supplies all defects in all his members, filling them with the Spirit, and even with the fullness of God. So he is filling us as his believers, as surrendered to him as Lord and Jesus, as as Lord and Savior, with the fullness of God. So when we look at the church, in fact, we see this, the manifold wisdom of God, it's later in in Ephesians, that the, the, the amount and the variance of who God is can be viewed for those outside of the church because of what the church is. And so he's saying the fullness is there. Now, what was really incredible to me is this, is essentially he's saying this, and I wrote it down this way. This is the highest honor of the church, that until he is united, Jesus is united with us, the Son of God reckons himself in some measure incomplete. What consolation is it to us, is it for us to learn that not until we are in his presence does he possess all of his parts, nor does he wish to be regarded as complete. So Christ in some unique amazing intimate relationship with us even though he is complete in his triune relationship with God and the spirit views himself as incomplete which makes sense because if he's king he needs a kingdom if he's lord he needs to be lord so this beautiful picture where the apostle Paul is saying that all authority has been given to Christ and he is completed in the church his bride and so it's this really really powerful thing for us if we could just sit for a second in that Do you recognize that when you, in a community, whether it's the small C church or the greater C church, the fullness of God is present? Every bit of it is there. And this is what he's trying to instill in these believers. And this is why I think it's so good for us is because he's trying to instill this in us today. Okay, so let's go back to the power section. Well, if you remember in Ephesus, back a couple weeks ago in our overview of what was going on in the area, if you remember, Ephesus is like a, a... power front port city. It's a city where everything comes through. And so there's heavy political power and heavy political influence. And there's, there was a massive amount of other gods and, and, and people that were worshiping these false idols that were super, super powerful. So powerful that the, it, it instilled fear into the church, the believers in Ephesus. And so there's this power push that's happening where, where we're seeing that, the, that only the, the goddess of this can grant you peace in this. 
or the, the God of this can grant you peace in this. And it's all of these external things, not Jesus Christ. And so there's this play in that for this power. And what, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's using every single word he can. I think it's brilliant. Every single word he can to, to make them understand that there is no power greater than Jesus Christ. There is nothing more powerful than God. And there is nothing more beautiful than his power working in the believers. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to encourage the, the believers in Ephesus. Hey, just like he said, you are holy and blameless, not because of what you've done or what you do or don't do, but because of what Christ has done for you. He's saying, you now possess the power of God. You possess not just the power of God to, to see some behavior modification in your life. You possess the power of God that defeated sin and death. I feel like I need to say, can you get an amen, right? Like, come on. So how many of us would say that we, we believe that? We believe that we have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us if we're surrendered to Christ. Raise your hand if you believe that. Great. You guys are doing so much better on the raising the hand stuff. This is so good. Don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you actually live in light of that? How many of you believe it here? You believe it here. You've got it here. You even want to believe it here, but when you make decisions in your life, you don't believe it. When it comes to that trial, you don't believe it. And this is what I think is happening in Ephesus, and it's definitely what's happening today. He's saying, you can't just stop it here. This is what his prayer is. God, would you, would you bring revelation? Would you enlighten the eyes of the heart, the center of who they are? Would they, from the center of who they are, believe fully that they have my power? Not for their own working. In fact, if you look at any time the power of God is displayed, it's always to bring glory to God. When Jesus heals, it's he gives glory to God. So the Apostle Paul, in this prayer, and he actually almost prays this exact same thing in chapter 3, so we'll get a good review of it. But his prayer here is, is, that, is, that, is that you, follower of Jesus, surrender to him as Lord and Savior, that you wouldn't just think that, that you would live in light of that. And here's, here's what that means. It's, and we have to be careful, because chapter 4 is when we get to doing stuff. It's not really doing anything. It's letting the Spirit of God do it. This isn't a, a works-based thing. It's a, it's a, I am already in it. As a follower of Jesus, I already possess the Holy Spirit. Now, we have seen biblically, and this is what we're going to do today. We're going to actually extend um, the last few songs. We're going to give a little bit longer time of worship. Um, and then we're going to have some individuals in the back of the room that are present and available for you if you need to pray, if you would like to pray for healing. But it's, it's, it's us believing in the power of prayer and believing in the Spirit's power. To do that, we have to trust who God is. To trust who God is, he has to open our eyes and our hearts. He enlightens us. He chooses us. He surrenders us to it. So what that means for us that are followers of Jesus, it means that we don't have to be beat up over and over and over and over again by the computer screen. We don't have to succumb to that over and over again and soon we can never, ever beat this addiction. It means that, that your marriage that seems so far gone and has no hope, that's a lie from the enemy. You have the power that raised Christ from the dead in you so he can restore that. We see biblically 
across the board in the Old Testament and the New Testament that sin can hinder that power. I want to be really clear on this. Please don't, this isn't a works-based thing. I want to be very, very cautious. We can see biblically that when we are in sin, we, we are, and I'm not saying struggling with sin, but blatant disregard for what God says is truth and saying, I'm going to continue being in this relationship with my boyfriend or girlfriend and doing the things we want to do because I just don't care. I like it. But we have seen how that sin, the disregard for God's truth, can hinder the power of the Spirit and God in us. We can see the opposite. When we are in a spot and a posture of obedience and submission to him, we can see his work. And that's not, I'm not saying, well, you do good, he'll love you. And you don't do good, he doesn't love you. That's not true. Please don't hear that. God's love for us is, we've established that hopefully the last couple weeks. But there is something to be said about repentance. And so what I'm calling you to is an opportunity to repent. James, we, we hear that if you confess your sins, then you will experience healing. It says, it's funny, he says, confess your sins to one another. Dang it. Shoot, I didn't want to do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you a chance to pray. And my desire, my hope for this day isn't that you would experience some healing and be like, oh, that sermon was so good, or that person that prayed for me was so awesome, and they must obviously have the gift of healing. My desire would be that whatever healing you experience, you would share that with others about what Christ is doing. You'd make much of his name and what he's doing. My request is for those of you that have been married for a long time, you're, you're, you've all but thrown in the towel to just coexist. That's not God's design for you. God has a best for you. He's given you the power to live in that best. But we have to believe that. Similar to we have to believe we are holy and blameless, not by what we do, but because of what he has done for us. So if it's an addiction, if it's physical, like here, here's the thing, God still heals. I believe in the value of, of medicine and doctors and, and the knowledge, but he is sovereign even over that. And so if you've been experiencing pain or, or, or struggling with that, then I, I, I challenge you, I encourage you to ask for healing. I always feel like when it comes to those things, whenever I've, whenever I've experienced that healing, I'm like that father that, that wants to see his son healed by Jesus, and Jesus says, you just need faith. And he's like, I have faith, but would you help my unbelief? Maybe that's our cry. God, I, I believe you can do this, but help my unbelief. Again, you, you see this through Jesus' ministry. He taught a healthy and right understanding of the gospel, the kingdom of his. And then he pairs it up with healing to show not just that the kingdom is about knowledge, but the kingdom is about power too. And not power to be used so that man can be like, whoa, look at that person, he's so amazing. It has nothing to do with that individual. It's a, in fact, if, if healing happens, it's a gift of God. And so we're going to give you a chance to pray for healing. Um, for those of you that, that maybe don't believe in Jesus, my, my challenge to you is, is to, um, to, to close your eyes, to, to ask him to reveal himself to you. That's my challenge to you. And then ask to talk about that if you want to. So the band will come up and we will um, continue worshiping. Uh, one of the things that makes worship worship, though, and this is, we see this through the scriptures throughout, is repentance. It is really hard to worship a God for his goodness when I'm carrying a bunch of baggage that I have yet to repent of. And so maybe that's all that needs to happen. Maybe you just need to get on your hands and knees before the Lord and just repent. Maybe you do need to confess that so you can have healing. But whatever it is, I, I, I encourage, in fact, 
maybe I'm not as encouraging as the Apostle Paul, I challenge you to walk in it because you have the power of God. You have his spirit. You have his strength. And the Apostle Paul is just pleading with the Ephesians to say, look, you have this. He's now He's done pleading with the Ephesians in this section. He starts pleading with God. God, instill this in their heart. Let them, let them live in light of that power. Stop believing the lies that you just have to deal with it. I'm not saying that life is good or easy following Jesus. In fact, Jesus more often says, eat my flesh and drink my blood to follow him. So it's not exactly a, an enticing call. What I'm saying is that to assume that you can be defeated over and over and over and over again by the same sin is a complete lie of the enemy. Let's pray. God, thank you for the power. Thank you for uh, instilling that power in, in completely unworthy people like me and others in this room. God, may we never, ever lose sight of whose power it is and what a gift it is to be able to live in light of that power and to be able to have the ability to make the decision to not sin is such a gift, Lord. Father, would you strengthen us? Would you encourage us? Even right now, as I said, to confess, my assumption is there's numbers in the room that are, are starting to hear the whisper, don't tell. If you tell, it'll ruin your marriage. People won't like you anymore. You won't get to do anything that you like to do. Those are, that is the voice of the enemy, and in the name of Jesus, I call against him in that, Lord. I pray that there wouldn't be a single whisper of the lie in this room, that all we hear is a still, strong voice of the truth of Jesus Christ. And God, as, as individuals are praying for healing, whether it's broken relationships or, or renewed uh, vision in following you, or it's beating addiction, or it's just, it's just surrendering our pride and our arrogance, God, whatever it may be, I pray that you do a mighty work, and people leave here not encouraged by what that person did for them, but encouraged by what you're doing and have done for them. I pray that people would leave giving much glory to you. Every time we saw Jesus heal, we saw glory being brought to you, Father, and I pray that that's exactly what happens. And Lord, I do pray. I pray for healing. I pray for healing of, of broken relationships. I pray for healing of bitterness and even thinking of the way that we have beaten each other up through this politic game right now. God, I pray for healing there. I pray that we would be reminded that even though it seems like these individuals might have power, whoever's elected, that you are sovereign over that and more powerful than even that. There is not a principality, there's not an enemy, there's not, a, there's not evil that can prevail over you. You've already defeated and crushed it with your heel. And so, Lord, we pray in name of Jesus, by the Spirit that you have gifted us through him, that we'd walk that we'd sit, that we'd enjoy and live in light of that, that we would no longer settle for what isn't your call in our life, that we would actually rest, like Paul says, in the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.